If you asked the average person in Calcutta who lives on the street, you looked at their happiness index. Way higher <laughs> than here. Way higher. It's ridiculous, actually. It's been and, studied. But, but you go yeah. and ask, you know, anybody in, in my neighborhood here, like, how happy are They're you? They're ready to commit suicide. Dude. Ready to, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Welcome to the QR Lab. This is where we question reality, but we're also on a quest to try to understand reality. So we feel free to ask questions, to bring things up, be controversial, maybe not too controversial, but you know, the the, the vein in the spirit here is to dive deep. So my name's Kuldeep Tagore, and I'm here with Amr Zeki. Hello. How are you doing today? Doing great, except for <clears throat> a little bit of allergies. <coughs> Excuse me. Are you going to do that the whole time? Every every two seconds. Oh, <laughs> you're suffering. I am suffering. You poor guy. <clears throat> allergies. You poor guy. Um, you know, I, I want to get started here uh, right away. Let's just jump right into it. This is um, from the <clears throat> Greek, Aeschylus. Do you know who he was? My favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm aware of Aeschylus, but I haven't read all his. I've actually read more uh, uh, Socrates than. So I, I, I'm reading this book, The Greek Way, by Edith Hamilton, it was recommended by a friend, and um, I, I came across this quote, and I thought this is just a perfect discussion for us to have on this podcast. Um, so let me read this quote. The quote goes like this: "God, whose law it is that he who learns must suffer." And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart, and in our own despite, against our will, comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. Let's tear this apart. Beautiful. Let's look into it. Let's, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's dive deep. So uh, there's a couple of things here. Really, this is a quote about suffering, and, and the concept here is that everybody has to suffer just by your sheer... <laughs> will, uh, sorry, excuse me, just by, by living, you're, you're suffering. You're in a state of suffering all the time, and, and you have to suffer. So, but but there, there's levels to this, right? I mean, this is, you know, the word itself does not encapsulate all of suffering. The, the word itself just it demands um, almost like we could spend the next hour just defining suffering. But what, what, I, what I thought here was interesting is that this idea that, you know, in our waking life, we are suffering, we're going through life, and that when we sleep, it's still there, and drop by drop, it falls onto our heart, and from there, we gain a deeper understanding. And what he refers to here as the wisdom by the awful grace of God, and I love the word awful here, right? It's, I, I don't know if it actually truly means, in the sense, awful, when we think of awful, something horrible oh, or full bad. Full of awe. It, full <clears throat> of awe. I, I think that's more of the, the vein of where he was going there. And so, uh, you know, this, this kind of got me into looking into, you know, this concept of suffering. Turns out the Pew Research Center has done um, some research on this and, you know, looking into the quote-unquote meaning of life and trying to understand suffering. Um, Post-pandemic, about 60% of Americans, 6 in 10, say that they have thought about this concept of the meaning of life and suffering. So definitely more people are engaging in this topic and want to know more about it. And turns out that just hearing about terrible things happening to, to people often makes people feel thankful. 
So the the idea that there is suffering or suffering out there actually makes people more grateful. Have gratitude. Have gratitude. So there there's something there, right? Mm. And then get, let's dig even further here. There there are explanations of 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 why suffering exists, right? So why why does suffering exist? More than eighty percent of people think it's just because bad things just happen, which is strange, and that people are not willing to blame God. It's actually the mm. opposite. They they don't blame God for this, and e- including like atheists or you know obviously atheists don't believe in God, but they are less likely to to say, well, how can <clears throat> how can there be a God who allows suffering? They ex- there's like an acceptance amongst the faithful that suffering is brought on by men by by humans. Humans are the cause of suffering, not the structure not not the not the, not just nature is designed no it's actually that we bring suffering so yeah. there's some really interesting thoughts yeah. there about about that but you know the the, the thing that i kind of come to is and and this is what i want to discuss um you know people like sam harris who you know is yeah. an atheist um has discussed discussed or trying trying to define like if we could define evil how would we de- how would we define it and one way of defining it is that where an individual or an organism is undergoing suffering. Any sort of suffering is akin to evil. In 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 this, and I might be inappropriately describing how, and maybe not not completely describing it. But he has said that you know people who are suffering, you know, is an evil. And what we should be doing in life is try to minimize that suffering. Like like the greatest good we could do would be to minimize uh, suffering but let, let's 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 think about that because suffering is actually kind of the gift of life in a sense that it moves us it compels us it uh, allows growth wisdom change to occur so it, it's <clears throat> it's necessary so why would we be trying to s- stop it stamp it out great point right I mean I, I think of uh, suffering also as a teacher right it's it's a uh, I mean, Sam Harris is saying, generally speaking, you can view it as a form of... I mean, I don't view it that way, but he views it as that. But you can make an argument. You can make a case for suffering has many purposes. One of them is to educate, right? Because we as conscious beings are limited. We don't have a full understanding of the nature of reality, right? Which is what this podcast really is about, is trying to understand what is that about. So suffering, in a way, is also relative, because one man's suffering is another man's prize, is another man's pathway to enlightenment and to success. So suffering really is a is a double-edged sword. It's a, you know, uh, two sides to that coin. So nobody wants to suffer. Yet a lot of people, including the Stoic philosophers, Epictetus and, and Marcus Aurelius and many, many others, would thank their suffering as, in retrospect, one of my greatest friends, one of my greatest teachers. And even Khalil Gibran, or Khalil Gibran, has this great poem about failure, right? This failure as your friend, as your ally, as your teacher. I don't remember the the, the exact poem. I, I had it memorized years ago when I was, you know, in high school or something. Uh, it's one of my favorite poems of all time because it, it illuminates the meaning of failure, which is falls under the umbrella of suffering. So suffering can be extremely egregious and bad and evil, yes, but it can also be a great friend and an ally and a, and a teacher and a Virgil and a guide. Um, <clears throat> think about 
if I'm going to make Damascus steel or any kind of sword or weapon, I have to put it under the hammer. And I have to put it in a crucible and and light it up and melt it down and hammer it and hammer it until it is formed into a strong, beautiful cutting instrument that has both beauty and durability and the ability to strike and cut whatever its purpose is, right? But you can't make a weapon like that or any beautiful edifice of art until it goes through those structures and mechanisms and, uh, uh, you know, essentially the heat, right? And the beaten down of the concrete and, and the carving of, you know what I'm saying? I'm Absolutely. speaking. Very, I'm speaking very generally that in order to build something, it has to be first broken down and reshaped. And that, that whole process is painful. It takes energy, it takes time. It's not painful for the inanimate object, but you understand the, the syllogism, right? You understand the, the parallel in that I cannot climb Mount Everest unless I train and work extremely hard to make sure I can do it, number one, physically, number two, safely. That is a form of suffering. You're not going to run a marathon unless you suffer. <laughs> You're not going to achieve anything great in life unless you suffer and fail repeatedly until you achieve your goal. It's almost unavoidable. So if we looked at a group of people that are, that are starving, they're, they're starving, they're, they're hungry, they're suffering. Yes. It, it, would be, it would behoove us. This is written in... Right. To, to help those people, of course. right? Like in yes. the Quran, it states that, you know, you should not have a full belly while your neighbor's is empty. I, I'm paraphrasing again, but there is a saying right. like that. Right? I don't know if it's in the Quran or if it's a saying of the prophet, uh, but, but the it's, the it's definitely the teaching. Hadith, maybe. Yeah, maybe hadith. It's definitely a, a teaching in the religion. And really all religions teach this. And, and, and it just even without religion, just your moral sense is that if your neighbors are starving... You should think twice about eating because that just just seems wrong. So, so there is you know? there is Share. this aspect of humanity believing that we must do whatever we can to minimize suffering. That that right. that, that is the highest form of. It's, it's part of, of our goodness, right? It's part right. of our, our so, good so, nature. So there, there we call it goodness to yeah. try to alleviate. So, so then Sam Harris in in sort of defining evil as as dis, defining it as you know suffering and that it should be minimized is is not. Far from no, I mean you can make that argument. I just, I just don't think it's the full argument. That's an it, aspect of it, it. It is not the full argument, yeah. right? Because so we just talked about hungry childs. Who, yeah. who, you know that the best thing to do would be to feed the feed them and to allow them to grow and develop and become, you, you know, give, the, live give, their lives. Give of yourself. But what yeah. if there's an affluent child who's sitting on a couch who's hungry? And let's just say they're they haven't eaten in a day for whatever reason. It just mm-hmm. but there's they, and they're crying and they're suffering. And is it is it great to just serve that child every all their whims and and, and all their desires just to give 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 all the time? Like, I would say no. That's the worst thing you could do. Is right? Oh, like, you're talking about the context of a spoiled child. In the context of somebody who has everything and and is. Whining uh, for more, maybe whining for more, or yeah. just but the, but you can't deny that you know the suffering is sort of a very subjective yes. experience. That child who say, "Oh, I'm suffering so much," you know, mm. like, just look at you know the way we kind of. I see what you're saying. Like you know, yeah. generationally, how our, my parents looked at me, like I would be complaining about something, they'd be like, "Oh, you don't even you, you have right. no idea." When I was a kid, right? Sure, sure. You yeah. think you're suffering? Like we had to walk ten miles in the you know, snow, right? In the snow, exactly, uh, yeah. uphill both ways, you know, that right, kind right, of thing, right, 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 with no shoes, with no <laughs> shoes. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. 
there, there's something to be said about that suffering and that, yeah. no, I want you to suffer too, my child. You have to endure this because that's what's going to make turns you... Turns you to a man, right? Turn, turns yeah. you into you know, an a, adult. A, a better human yeah. being. Yeah. Right, exactly. A, a, a better man, a better woman, what have you. So... So there, there's something to be said, right? Like you, you, I think you nailed it when you said that, yes. that there is a, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that we want to. There's type. Is there types of suffering? I, I, I'm sure people have written about this philosophically. There is definitely types of suffering because, let's say, for example, you have a great relationship with somebody, a wonderful, flourishing relationship. It can be anybody in your life. Something very personal, and something happens. And that relationship is then destroyed or is dissolved or is, is on the waning end. There is a suffering involved in the dissolution of that relationship, no matter what side you're on or what the argument is, because you had some intimacy, some love, some great memories. So no matter who's right or wrong and, and that underlines the disagreement, there's definitely a pain that is felt in the heart when sort of the good memories or the good life has ended, Yes. right? So that's one form of suffering. Another form of suffering is just physical thirst and hunger. That is a form of suffering. Another kind of suffering is under the dictatorship of a tyrannical government or tyrannical boss or whatever. There are so many different types of suffering. There's also intellectual suffering, right? You have to espouse and believe something that the intelligentsia believe Right, simply because there's a pressure to believe it, not because you truly believe it. The amount of suffering is continuous and throughout life. Think about when you're a child. Your parents told you, you can do this, you cannot do that. They control every aspect of your life. You suffered as a child because you're being conditioned and you're being prepared in order to be a successful adult. That is a crucible. You're under the hammer and you're under the fire. You are under the anvil. You're being shaped, bang, 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 right? We're doing this to our children now. When they step out of line, we essentially lay down the law, and that does make them suffer. But that kind of suffering is not a hunger, not a thirst, not a, a torture. That is a, that's your Virgil. That is your friend. It is teaching you to become an adult and to become responsible. So I believe, or it seems to me, that there is a kind of suffering that is negative, and there's a kind of suffering that is positive. And you have to identify in your life, if you don't want to suffer unnecessarily, what kind of suffering are you having right now? Is this a positive kind of suffering? Is there a silver lining in the negative suffering? There's a saying in Arabic that goes, which means don't hate the thing which is bad for you today that has a hidden benefit for you. There it is. Right? Yeah. It, it has, you're hating the suffering, you, you want to reject it, you're repulsed by it. But a few years down the line, you're like, I would never give up that experience for anything. Because that experience shaped me into the man or woman I am today. How many people have said that? Countless people. I mean, it is, it is the sage words, the wise words of the sages, as they say. And, you know, they say basically, that life is suffering, so just pick your suffering. Pick your battles. Pick right. Your I, suffering, I think right. that we had that discussion, you know, <sighs> where, me. you know, for example, <clears throat> you want to be a rock star, you want to be a, a a famous rock star. Well, you think that person doesn't have suffering? You think that you know they have to deal with absolutely the, the, the gossip and the pressures That's and right. the, the people talking bad about you and and 
got to move from city to city and perform every it's night. It's a hard and, life. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of juggling that you have to do. I mean, you're like, oh, poor you. You have to, you know, be a rock star. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> that that there everything is there. The relative, there's a relativity. There's a relativity. To it, right? to they it. say, oh, this person is a doctor. They're making a lot of money. They got job security. Have you walked in the shoes of right. when a doctor's on call and, and he hasn't eaten and slept for days or whatever, and you are dealing with complexity and hard decisions and and emotionally wrenching situations? Oh, you get paid too much. You guys right. get paid some... It's like, okay, you know, like, I think anybody can become a target of this, right? Like, you can, you can look at, you know, something that you think is exalted, like, oh, yeah, doctors are getting paid too much. You know, where I, I, I would venture out that, you know, I, I feel that many of these these specialties, not just not just medicine, uh, but even nurses or taxes, we're all getting paid less than we should be getting paid. For the amount of, of work and effort and life energy that you put into your work, you know, um, you've definitely aged faster than you would otherwise. Because, I mean, the kind of work that is being done when you're dealing with human death and, and suffering and the most sacred thing that anyone can lose is, is their health and their life. That's the most sacred thing. And a physician is in that story. And so you will be suffering along. That's what, in fact, what the word compassion means. It means to suffer with. And a truly compassionate and understanding physician will suffer along with it. Maybe not to the same degree, but you will feel. And so it is a form of, it's, it's, it's not anyone can do this job, right? So... There is suffering involved in almost everything. I mean, combatants in battle, right? Uh, you know, uh, there's many, 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 many different aspects of life where the the grass seems greener from the outside. It looks great. But when you're walking in the shoes of that person, you begin to see the vagaries of that existence. Even celebrities. How many of them are you know, on drugs, you know, strung out? alcoholics in and out of you know the court and jail and divorces and you know losing their career in, in public opinion because of some stupid thing they did or said they're under the you know microscope they can't even go out to a 7-eleven without everybody approaching them and, and attacking them because they're so famous i mean you don't have anonymity it is a form of suffering you just can't get in the car and go places and just walk into a restaurant you'll be you'll be mobbed right you know and uh you know, let's let's kind of so we kind of started with this discussion about uh, the oh, oh, sort of a Western civilization perspective coming from the Greeks on suffering. You know, this is yeah, it's a necessity. But but that is actually also seen in Hinduism. Yes, um, you know, in the East as well, you'll see Hinduism basically accepting suffering as as part of life. Uh, that it's the acceptance that allows you to move forward. Buddhism too. That Don't resist. Don't resist. There's right? physical suffering, right, which we alluded to, but there's also mental suffering. Um, Psychological, yeah. There's almost like there's objective suffering yeah. and there's subjective suffering, and that it, that there's this belief that it is attached to the material, but it's not just attached. Not to always. The, no. It's not just attached to the material. Yeah. <clears throat> in in Sanskrit, the the word for suffering is dukkha. Dukkha. Duk. Duk. Hmm. Like a duk means pain. Um, and the the Vedic teaches talk about their their different types of suffering, and I, I, it depends on the, the reference you look at. Mm. But the the suffering there are five causes. Number one, ego, mm. uh, or number two, ignorance. Mm -hmm. Number three, likes things you want. Mm. 
Mm. Number four, dislikes. And number five, fear. And they're all interrelated. They kind of mm. move back and forth. And so... All very true, by the way. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it, in this model, there's this concept of karma. And karma is this it, it is actually a very simple but very complex concept at the same time. Because karma essentially means action, right? Right. And, and here we get into the idea of the effect of action. So whatever it is you do creates an effect. It's this, the whole thing is cause and effect, right? And we've had this discussion about causation. Reference it, look back. But this is the fundamental and universal law of cause and effect. It's karma. So the, the idea is that you accumulate through your actions karma that you keep with you. So if you're doing good things in the world that have good consequences, that it, it's not embodied in the physical, but it's embodied in, your, in your, the spiritual, the, the, the Atman, which is... The soul. Bo- yeah. And you can be born uh, you know, again and again, this cycle of death and, dis- death and, reincarnation, and life, yeah. reincarnation, <clears throat> and that if you carry with you a certain type of Atman or karma, that you will ultimately end up wherever it is, right? So the more negative things you do, the outcomes will be more negative for yeah. you. You could come back as a, maybe come back as an insect. Well, you know, it's a crushed. certain kind of accounting, right? We talked about accountability. Your deeds and your actions, which are deeds, are setting up your accountability matrix. So you can even see it in, in normal life. Like somebody who dies, you know, and they're a multi-multi-millionaire, at the eulogy at the funeral isn't Tom had the most amazing 36-foot sailboat, and he drove eight Lamborghinis, and he wore $1,000 shoes. Even if that is true, no one would dare to say it. People are going to... What are they going to remember? What are they going to emphasize? It doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos or some Joe Smith, you know, next door. They're going to say, you know, my car broke down on this dirt road out in the middle of nowhere. I called him at 3 in the morning. He got up, and he came... And he spent three hours helping me fix my car and get it towed. Yeah. That's what people are going to remember. And and another example is, do you know who Shakespeare is? Um, <laughs> Bill? All right. Now, let me ask you a question. During his time, who was the most famous person in London, in England at that time? Um, probably the Queen. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. <laughs> but everybody knows Shakespeare. Yeah. He, he was a relatively poor man. But what did he do? His deeds touched the hearts of people in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So you have this apparent phenomenon where your deeds, when they reach people, your words, your actions, when they help, when they do good, when they touch the hearts of others, you live on, right? And of course, if you do bad things, you also live on, right? But Stalin. If, if you're just accumulating wealth and you're some famous banker and you're not known for producing something that has touched the lives of people, you are forgotten into the dustbin of history. So it behooves us to always put people first. And the most important element in any human institution, in any institution, is the human element. You know, what's amazing about this concept is, uh, I'm kind of going back a little bit to the discussion we were having about, um, like, let's just take India, Hindus, yep. or Hinduism, <clears throat> and where... where you will have people born into castes. And the belief is that I was born into this caste for a reason. It was because something, of karma, right? Right. And, reincarnation. and so think about this. 
There's no upper. There's no. It's there's, a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's no. There's yeah. no upward mobility, right? Like Terrible. the upward mobility mm-hmm. isn't. People stay in they their cast. They accept it. They accept it. They accept it. Like <laughs> an like if you're born as a um you know it's untouchable. A, yeah, it's unfortunate mm-hmm. word. Yeah. Um. Uh, Gandhi referred to them as harijans. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I may be saying that wrong, but it means children of God. Mm. But um, the quote unquote the untouchable caste in India, they don't revolt. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Uh, you know, like this um, um, proletariat idea that yeah. you know you're going to overthrow the bourgeois because they accept your, it. They accept it as part of their karma. It is, and they're happy about it. And they say, "No, I, I'm staying here in this." Because they want to work their way up, right? So there, 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 yeah. there, there is somewhat of a, a a difference, right, between east and west. Absolutely, east and west. Yeah, where where in the west, I think there's this belief that I can I endure suffering and I can overcome it and become something else. Whereas, but it's in, also tied into your conception of reincarnation. Because if this is all there is, everyone's going to try to get to the top in this life. But if there is multiple lives and reincarnations, then you say, okay, I, I have, a, I'm having a horrible life, but I'm good with it because I'm going to come back. Because I've done so much good. So, like, literally, this concept of what happens after death has so many implications for how you live your life. It's it's very both problematic and important to sort out. <clears throat> because no one would accept to live that way if that was their only life. Yeah. They would not accept it. Because there's a thing called human dignity, which we all have equally. Yeah. So this is... Boy, this is getting into some interesting territory. It really is, actually, yeah. because you know, it really again when we're here to try to try to understand, and to some degree, why why are things the way they are, and then you know, we have the opportunity to study different cultures and and say, okay, <clears throat> they're humans just like us, but their culture and their their model. part of the, their, their part of the world, yeah. they they accept this suffering, they yeah. they accept it and will stay in it and. Be happy. If you asked the average person in Calcutta who lives on the street, you looked at their happiness index. Way higher <laughs> than here. Way higher. It's ridiculous, actually. It's been studied. But, but you go yeah. and ask, you know, anybody in, in my neighborhood here, like, how happy are They're you? They're ready to commit suicide, They're dude. Ready, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Why, why are they happier? Dude, happiness is so subjective. Okay, so happiness... Because That's they're it. accepting their suffering, because they go, okay, well, you know, my lot in life is to live on the street and and be a street urchin, and this is like you know the in, in like the cartoon Aladdin, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's quote unquote the street rat, but he is happy, yeah, and he's helpful, and he's, he's he gives his bread to the kids, and you know he he and even the richest man it just spits on him and has no, yeah, it's almost like you know this this idea that comes from the Bible that. There, there's a quote from from Jesus, and I apologize that I don't know it exactly, but the idea is that it's going to be a lot harder for a rich man to get to heaven. Oh, it goes like this: it's 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 harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Something there you like go. That. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right? Yeah, something like that. Mind blowing, yeah. really. If you mind blowing, just, um, just you know, brilliant. Dissect that down a little bit. It's essentially saying that. The comforts and the all these things that are the material things that have yeah. been gifted to you are actually not things you should you should strive for necessarily. Do you right? even deserve them? I mean, I we actually I was talking to my uncle yesterday. Mm-hmm. We were talking, you know, uh, about this concept of your gifts. This gets to the rich man. So, 
let's say your gifts are in the realm of art or in the realm of science or in the realm of knowledge or in the realm of writing or in the realm of sports or you just are supremely wealthy. Now, whatever you've been given, you're obliged to bring it to the world and to share it with others for a greater good. So if you have wealth, you got to use it for a greater good. If you have knowledge, spread it, teach, share it. If, if you have you, a great voice, sing. sing. If you're an artist, produce art. original art. You, you shouldn't care what people think about it. You produce the art that is in your heart because that comes, that divine spark comes from God, the creator. And so the authenticity of the human being, once it is brought forth into the world, you produce a better experience, better human experience, because your authenticity is a kind of truth. It may be a little t, but it is a truth, right? You may not be the best looking or the nicest person, but man, there's something true about you. There's something truthful, authentic, real. It, it may even rub you the wrong way, but you like it. You know why? Because it's honest. It's truthful, right? And 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 you respect people. You may disagree with them, but you respect them because they're speaking their truth. You may even disagree with them, but at least they have the integrity and the courage to put out there what they actually believe and to bring forth their art. You may not like their art. You may think it's not as good as somebody else. That's subjective, but they're going out there. They're doing it. They're doing it, and and there is value in that. There is real human value in that. So, I actually, I forgot the main point I was making. But <laughs> I, was just, I was just going along the ride there with yeah. you. But you know, uh, you know, get, getting into this too, the the reptilian brain, the midbrain. You know, that is essentially subconscious you yeah, know, and, and functioning on its own blink right? beneath beneath our yeah. beneath our and then there's Nothing this higher all. level right i mean the, so neurology has structured it this super tentorial the you know the brain which has the ability for discrimination executive function thank that, yeah. god right because if we were all just functioning with our reptilian midbrain we would you know that and that is designed to seek pleasure it's aversion to suffering a hundred percent. Yeah. But in order to succeed, in order to really grow and, and thrive and to live life, we've evolved this higher functioning, right? This higher, let's just say this this higher spirit up here in the awareness. Awareness. A, a, awareness that 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 goes no. You know, you must wake up in the morning and exercise and have yeah. discipline, reptilian brain. You cannot just do everything you want to do because right. That is not going to lead to the, but yet we need that aversion, right? We need that. You need a little bit of it. We yeah. need pleasure seeking. We need so the, the, this con this constant balance yeah. is even within our own yeah. nervous system. It's within so our own. True. We're structured this way, absolutely to, true. To, to be at battle yeah. with it. Yeah, it's 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 very uh, it's very curious because anyone who doesn't think that life on planet Earth is rife with suffering of all kinds. Now, you may live you may live a life that has way less suffering than somebody else, right? There's definitely gradations of suffering on the planet. Oh yeah. Right? But like you said, those people who to you seem like are living an awful life, they're way happier than you, which is interesting 
because we're saying there's gradations of suffering, they don't feel like they're suffering as much right. as you think they are. <laughs> right. So it gets even more bizarre. So there's a perspective here. Exactly. That, that there's a perception. Be, yeah, right? a perception. Which just gets back to the perception podcast, which which like literally restructures everything. Like the the matrix of perception may be truthful or completely false, but it's a matrix of perception. So that that's what you know makes this topic actually challenging a bit because really what is suffering you can write an entire book on this man there's so many angles on this there's theological angles there's physical there is many 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 different ways of looking at this but there's one thing for sure without a doubt every single human being on this planet will suffer one way or another well, why is it you know like looking at the pew research here like yeah. the views on human suffering and god's role in it why why are yeah. people so unwilling if they have a belief in the creator yeah. To not attribute God to that suffering, I think because the religions are teaching that God is ultimately good. I mean, all the all the Western religions, and by West that includes Islam. Technically, by the way, this is not my conception; it's the conception of theologists, theologians. Excuse me. That uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are considered Western religions. Uh, Buddhism, Taoism, you know, uh, um, Hinduism. Etc. are considered Eastern religions. The Western religions, in a sense, they convey a monotheistic God who is essentially good. He describes himself as a being who is omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, all-powerful, but ultimately good. And, and that is in the subconscious of what people believe God is. And, and, and willing to engage and talk with his uh, creation. He sends um, messages. Yeah, he sends, he sends revelations to say, "Look, I am actually here. What you suspect to be true is that, that there is a creator. You suspect that, and I am here. Yes, I am. I confirm your suspicions. And I've sent prophets and revelations to different cultures over different times because I'm a merciful God. I want you to know that I am here. Yeah, because he he didn't have to send any of these revelations or books, right?" Now, some people don't believe that these things happen, or they, they think it's Mickey Mouse, but for the mature person, when you when you really look at the problem, you begin to realize that something has happened where, I mean, you have to choose whether or not you believe in this, but if you suspend disbelief for a moment and say, okay, if there is a creator who actually respects the creation, he's going to want to let them know that He's there, and there's some kind of guidance there, because otherwise it is a form of—imagine if there was no attempt to reveal. Then it would be a real mess, because you're you're trying to figure stuff out, and you're looking around like, there seems like there's something behind all this, yet it's complete silence. There's no communication whatsoever. <laughs> you know— it, it, Sorry. Right? Then you're like, what's going on here? It's almost like the alien phenomenon, mm -hmm. right? If there's no communication, no, you're going to continue to wonder till the end of time, are there aliens or not? You know, it's an interesting concept, right? If there is a God who is reasonable, who has a sense of mercy, who created a creature who uses his and her intellect, he must reveal that he is there. Otherwise, it's an abuse. You know, the... Um the Greeks had a religion, but the religion never defined like how God would look. The Greeks yeah. mm -hmm. defined it through art. Right, right. Right. So you, you'll have, you know, you know, Greek Amazing art critiques right. yeah. who who will say this 
statue of Zeus is. Right. <laughs> that is the religion. That is it. Right. This artist created it, but that has become, you right, know, how right. we how we conceive <laughs> it. Me. It's not. It isn't preordained in the in the writings. It was. It, it evolved through. Yeah. Art. It's it's just a, it's an amazing. It's, thing. it's almost like it's a monotheistic idea that became polytheistic, and then it went back into monotheism again. Yeah. Um. Because there are like even in the Islamic tradition, it's interesting. If you look at polytheistic religions, even the Greek and Roman which are essentially uh, pagan polytheistic religions, what they're really describing are, are essentially, I'm not saying it is, I'm saying potentially aspects of a single God, but they make them as different beings. But so, they also attribute a lot of human characteristics to it. That's the problem. And, and that, that is a problem. Whereas in, in interesting, the Islamic tradition, I think you and I shared this over some texts, uh, in the Quran it's revealed that the 99 names of God are Allah, which means God in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And and some of these are interesting because some of his names are the abaser, somebody who like demoralizes the almighty, the destroyer. You know, I don't know if destroyer is one of them, but that the, there's the uplifter, then there is then there is the merciful. The, all these other like other attributes of God, some of them are negative. There are 99 but, different but, names. But that's what I find so interesting yeah. is that it, when you survey Americans, they will say that... It, it, another interesting thing about re, this kind of research when you look at it is yeah. you, you, you find things like people who are Christian are more likely to believe in heaven than hell. Like by like, hmm. there's a, like a 10% difference, wow. <laughs> it's, which is really interesting, yeah. right? So they're, yes, they accept heaven, but they don't, there's like hmm. a, a difference except for the people that are are more hardline yeah. the, the ones that are more fundamentalists more, more fundamental believe, yeah. the literal translation mm. they're much more likely to equally believe in heaven and hell that's very interesting yeah mm. it's almost like we choose you yeah. know like in in our belief system in in our yeah. you know I'd say I'm a mm. Christian let's just say and mm. I'm but I I still carry a degree of interpretation yeah. that I don't really follow the hard line. And yeah. to some degree, thank goodness, right? There are things in the books. I mean, we've talked about, you know, as, you know, if we cite Deuteronomy mm. in, in the Old Testament. Very violent, yeah. Extraordinarily mm. violent and would have you, for example, you know, you you should probably kill your mother or father if they said something against... I don't know if it's that extreme, to be honest with you, but... I, you know, yeah. I... I, I Pretty. I mean, we could pick out lines even from the Quran, which you know, again, context is everything. But if you picked out lines in mm-hmm. there where you know it's incredibly violent, you know, or yeah. you know, you should kill the infidel, you know, um, or that's take, actually not in the Quran, by the way. I, yeah, I, I apologize for speaking yeah. too too flippantly about it, but there there certainly are some yeah, some some lines that are would would it, they, it, they they kind of violence. There is one. There is one passage, and I, I don't have it memorized, but it's within the context of when if you are under attack, then you have the right to respond uh, in kind, basically, which which is it's allowing for that particular context a violent uh, reaction. So um, that's in there, but it's not uh, within the context of that theological, you know, revelation. It's it's not. Uh, sort of a offensive or aggressive, yeah, you just do violence. It's uh, th- what God is saying, I'm allowing you to have that response in this context when you are under violent attack, essentially in in defense of the self. But what's interesting about the Quran too is 
and again, I'm not a Quranic scholar, so you know, take it for what it's worth, <clears throat> but it's based on what I know. Um, what's also interesting in the Quran is God repeatedly will say, show mercy to your brethren, to mankind, because God is merciful and likes those who show mercy and will show mercy upon those who show mercy. So he creates this environment, this, this psychological environment of, you know, I could, re- re- I could do retribution here. I'm justified to do it, but God is enjoining me, is calling upon me to show mercy when I have power to bring vengeance and justice. But why is God asking me to do that? Because he is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And what that means in Arabic, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim means literally the merciful, meaning at this moment, the ever-merciful. What it means is that not only is he showing mercy at this moment, the acute period that you need to have mercy, he is ar-Rahim, the perpetually merciful, to the end of time. So of all the 99 names that he could be, he's revealed and declared himself, I'm not these other things, I'm ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I'm the merciful, the ever-merciful. So be merciful and show mercy to others because God loves those who show mercy. And there's other phrases like the killing of a single innocent human being is tantamount to the killing of the entire humanity, all of mankind. Whereas the saving of a single life is tantamount to saving all of humanity. That's Mm -hmm. the credit. You know, it's almost like what he's saying is contained in a single human being is all of humanity. Yeah, almost like the holographic. Yeah, which was kind of interesting because you feel that. Like, you feel like if you died, essentially, part of humanity has been annihilated, has been destroyed, meaning in an unjustified manner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, you know, uh, violence in in religions has to be really studied and looked at very carefully because people will, you know, flippantly say, yeah, these religions are violent and they're this and that, but... You know, an educated person really has to study and has to take careful consideration of these things because you want to get to the truth of things. You want to understand, like even the the, the violent passages in the Bible. I don't feel comfortable talking about that because I really haven't studied the Bible, and and you know, uh, judged for myself. Although I do remember a very interesting interview on NPR years ago, where this guy is a, re- a theologian and he actually studied all three religions. And he wrote a book based on the the violence, like which book has more uh, violence in it. And what he concluded was was the Old Testament was way more violent than the New Testament, and, and the least violent was actually the Quran. Right. Now, I don't know if that's true. I'm just reporting what this guy, who was a scholar, uh, wrote, and he was interviewed on NPR. But it's kind of consistent with what I know colloquially as, as a non-professional, as a non-theologian. Um, but again, in order for me to espouse a certain belief, I first need knowledge, which means I actually have to go to primary data. I would have to read the Old and the New Testament. You'd have to suffer through that. I'd have to... <laughs> exactly, because in order to have knowledge of something, you actually have to undergo the trial and tribulations of an experience. Yeah. Because real knowledge is rooted in a human experience, which is often tied to suffering, actually. So to become a scholar, you will suffer. You will... Blood, sweat, and tears until you gain knowledge. So I can choose to have a superficial belief and say, you know what? I'm going to believe the scholar because I trust him or her. They have character and integrity. I actually don't know. But at some point, people don't have, everybody has limited time. But you have to be aware of the level of knowledge 
and the level of credibility that you're allowing to enter into your psyche. Because if you have not done the primary work, you cannot make that judgment because you have not read these texts. So you have to be fair. So in order to be fair, I cannot be biased. I can't make a statement unless I've gone through those books and judged for myself that that is in fact true what this guy claims, which is actually a scholarly way of living, but it's very not practical. It's impractical. But it's it's the idealized way of, of existing. Unfortunately, we don't have time to do that. Not everyone can be a scholar in everything. Yeah. So that's the challenge in life. So then the next best thing to do is, can we trust this person? Does this scholar have evidence of integrity, of honesty, and of true scholarship such that I can actually trust in their book and what they're saying? So that's, a, that's the next level of you imbibing and bringing in knowledge into your mind that is not through primary experience. Right? Like, could you have become the physician you are without the years and years of toil in the hospital? No way. Because you have primary experience. You know. Now, if you just said, if you just sat and re- read for 10 years about GI, you couldn't do any of it. That's the difference. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, true knowledge is bloody knowledge. Yeah, there, there's a difference between. It's in the flesh. Like, like knowing how to swim and then swimming. Exactly. Right? Like, if I told you, you've never gotten in water before, and I explained everything to you, I showed you videos. Yeah. Right? Okay. You, you know how to swim. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> right? You don't. You have a description, a linguistic, Until symbological you do description. It, you don't know it. Exactly. You're not, you're so, not it. So, so this you're is not what, a swimmer. Exactly. This is actually one of the things that makes us suffer as human beings. We suffer on both ends of it on the end of not knowing and being ignorant. Yes. But also on the end of knowing. Yes. Because when you know, you realize how little you know. <laughs> Sorry, I had a little levity here. You know, the yeah. Greeks gave us trage- tragedy. I mean... Um, strategery. No. Strategery, tra- yeah. No, you meant the, tragedy and comedy. The, right. the Greeks gave us, to some degree, tragedy, but it's like, well, no, they didn't give it to us. Tragedy existed. But the way they conceptualized tragedy, their understanding of it wasn't just if a little girl is in a crowd and gets stamped to death. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, that's tragic. That The Greeks wouldn't consider that tragic, okay? Because that happens. That happens. That, that, that. What is tragic is our ability to suffer that, to, to, to endure it, to suffer it. That's where tragedy oh, is. Oh, I see, I the see. The depth of our suffering. For example, hmm. Ham- Hamlet. Hamlet hmm. is essentially a tragedy. It's a tragedy not because of the events that end up in Hamlet's death or you know the killing of his mm-hmm. um, mother, his uncle, all this stuff. The tragedy is in his ability to suffer, to to toil over it, all the lines to be or not to, to be. To endure. He's yeah. he's going through it. That's tragedy. You see, see you see? see, like it's, yeah. it's hard to explain actually, but yeah. the tragedy is not in the act. The tragedy mm. is in our suffering. That is tra- through, through the act. Yes. Right. So so yeah. that's that and that's it was it was in their literature, it was in their plays, it's yeah. in their art. Yeah. And 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 now, you know, we yeah. we can try to understand this through mm. our, ourselves. What, yeah. what, like we grow through our suffering. We we arrive because yeah. of our suffering. I, I I really think of it like the example of of a a blacksmith with that he's got this hammer and he's got an anvil and you're between the anvil and the hammer. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. 
and you're like, you know, all red and lit up and, and all distorted and that hammer keeps coming down. But at the end of it, you come out a shining knight, a hero, a hero in your own life. Because once you get your life in order, then you become a hero for all of society. Yeah, you know, this. It's, it's hard to have this discussion, you know, in the current times because we don't want to say things like this, like <coughs> essentially Excuse steel me. sharpens steel, right? <coughs> yes. <clears throat> men sharpen men. Right. Like that, that might be a very controversial thing to say it like no, that. No, I mean, it's true. But, but we sort of have to define, our, you know, we end up defining what it is to be, quote unquote, a man. We define that through our interactions with yeah, that's right. Other men. Well, it is. It's it's almost like what is required to function within human society. Remember that podcast we talked about? That I think it was the one on good versus nice. You 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 grow up in an ecosystem. You are in a human ecology where you cannot envision even functioning outside of a social context because everything in your life is social, right? So, part of being a man, you're you realize like you have to take care of your family. You have to bring resources. You have to provide wisdom and advice. You have to be physically strong. You have to be psychologically strong, but you also have to be extremely affectionate and loving and forgiving and merciful because you're strong. The meek shall inherit the earth, right? You got your hand on the sword. You can unsheath it at any moment, but you choose not to. That's actually a heroic posture. So in my opinion, a true man, a fully functioning and formed man is a hero in disguise, ready to appear at any moment. And, and, and you're really a hero to your children. You're a hero to your everybody in your life. You can be a force of destruction or a hero. And you have to be extremely careful how you use that power. How much trouble would we get into if we tried to have a podcast on defining man, defining woman? <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> we can. Well, in the modern, I mean, in the modern uh, debate that people are having about identity, I, I can understand why you know people are going through this uh, difficulty. Um, you know, to sympathize with folks who say, "Well, there's biological male and female, but there's also the psychological sense of what a male or female." Yeah, there there is an aspect of it that I actually appreciate and I understand. I just you know don't like the. You know, you're, you're sort of like drinking from a fire hose, and it's like all these things are being thrown at you. I think our society could handle this issue in a much more understanding, civilized, uh, you know, step by step, having discussions about it that are free and open, without labeling people and blaming people and getting pol political about you're canceled. it. Canceled. Yeah, and getting canceled and getting militant. You know, that doesn't help anybody. Because at the end of the day, the pendulum always swings the other direction. Like, you may be winning today, tomorrow you will lose. Right. It's the nature of reality. Today, you win, you're on top. But when you're at the very top, you can only go down. So it's always better to be humble and have a position of two and three. Yeah. You never want to be on... So if you are winning the battle today... Be prepared to lose tomorrow because you will lose. It's all of human history, all of literature says exactly that. That is a true truism. It's tr true the capital T. And if you're losing today, be prepared to win tomorrow. Yin and yang.
Mm. You, you, nothing is static in nature. Always evolving and changing. Evolving and changing. Change is the only thing the that doesn't change. Constant. <laughs> yeah, it's the only universal constant. So people are so worried, and they're getting you know politicized and angry, and people are getting canceled, and 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 everyone's getting extremely polarized. And what they don't what they don't don't realize is if you win today, you're going to lose tomorrow, and if you lose today, you will win tomorrow. I don't want to say it's a, it's a zero sum game. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is all of life, including your position is dynamic. And if you have the upper hand today, the people who lost will not forget. They will come and they will win because if they truly believe in that value system, they're never going to give it up. They will eventually come and will oppose you and there'll be, and hopefully the opposition is not violent. Hopefully the opposition is more uh, sensitive, more compassionate, more merciful, more intellectual. Yeah. So people can grow and, and have a certain tolerance, but there's also a limit to tolerance, right? I mean, there's a certain limit. You can't tolerate everything in life. Otherwise, you have no principles. You have no boundaries. Mm. But the question is, how do we live a dignified life without killing one another? Can we live a dignified life, a life that is rooted in knowledge, rooted in compassion, rooted in mercy, rather than in domination and power and violence. You know, Friedrich Nietzsche had this very interesting, he, he described power. He said, the highest form of human power is the sublimation into the arts. What he meant by, you can be a Hitler, you can dominate, and you can do X, Y. He didn't say Hitler, but I'm saying, you can have all these other lower forms of power, but the highest form of power is when you create. Mm. You create something artistic. That is the highest, it's the sublimation of uh, you know uh, into the arts. I thought that was very, very, very powerful and very true, you know. So at the end of the day, you're going to win today, you're going to lose tomorrow. Every single human civilization has won and lost. Every single position has won and lost. So once you understand that, then you're going to be a lot calmer, a lot more humble, and a lot more understanding of the other side. And although you don't have to give up all your principles, you have certain boundaries— try to work in a manner that's dignified because it's easy to get mad and to just say, screw those people. And we're not, and it's actually a lot harder when they're just attacking you. And then, you know, they're just throwing things at you and you're like, this is beyond my boundaries. I, I don't want to accept this. You know, then you really have to have a certain level of composure in order to not get off the rails. Yeah. Because it, it ultimately does come down to values and human dignity and people differ in their value systems and what they, you know, believe and what they're willing to accept. And there's a level of intolerance that we can't avoid. You have to be intolerant of certain things, right? But you shouldn't be to the point where you are, it's, it's, it's destroying the dignity of other people. Because every human being has dignity. It's part of our moral nature. And it, it, like you may look at somebody and say, oh, that's, that's a lifestyle not for me. I'm not into that. But they're still a human being, and they have their own dignity. You may like say, "Dude, that's totally out of my, you know, my sphere of what I'm willing to do or accept or my personal life." But it's not your personal life. That's their personal life, right? So there's a level of decorum and dignity that we like. The current conversation is lacking, unfortunately, and um, it's causing a lot of harm. It's really sad. 
So I think that... And that causes suffering, by the way. Yeah. Everybody I, I, I was suffers. Say, you brought it back to suffering. Yeah. I, I, I think that probably concludes what we can uh, attack on this topic, believe it or not. Um, yeah. You know, there's going to be many follow-ups, but um, yeah, I think... Oh, cue the music. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the QR Lab. My name is Khalid Tagore. And Amr Zeki. We just want to give a shout out to all those people that are suffering. Remember your dignity. Remember that there's always tomorrow. So don't give up hope. Hang in there. Adios, amigos. The QR Lab. We want to emphasize that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and they do not reflect the official policies or positions of our employers and places of employment or any of their affiliates. Additionally, our discussions on this podcast should not be considered professional advice or endorsements of any particular organizations, products, or individuals. We're here to share our thoughts and stimulate conversation, but we encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions.